Lord Almighty, God in heaven, we come and we worship you this morning. We rejoice to be in your presence. Lord, we want to take a break. We want to rest from all the helter-skelter around us. We want to take a rest away from our trying to fight in this world to you know, make a path for ourselves. Or, Lord, even worse than that, trying to impress you with our good deeds. Lord, we want to rest right now from all that. Help us, Lord. We want to meet you in your word this morning. Bless us, Lord, so that we will be able to rest and so that we can enable others to rest as well. We love you, Jesus. Amen. 2020 has been a crazy year, no? What if we made it one step crazier? Imagine if the NFL decided to take its Sunday morning games and move them instead of Sunday morning to Monday morning. You know, because we haven't shaken things up enough this year. Imagine a tradition far older than the NFL, by, you know, 1,500 years or so. And imagine a small group of people who say that they're committed to that religious, ancient religious tradition, and they take one of the core beliefs, one of the fundamental practices of that religion, and they move it. They, they take it from the equivalent of one of our Sunday mornings and place it on the equivalent of one of our Monday mornings. Now you just imagined the early church. For at least 1,500 years, and in reality a lot longer than that, for at least 1,500 years, God's people had celebrated the Sabbath from Friday evening to Saturday evening. Now this small group of Weirdos want to change direction completely and make the primary weekly celebration on Sunday morning, the first day of the week. Now, most people, remember, did not have Sunday off. A six-day work week was standard, so church was either early in the morning or it was late in the evening. Israel scoffed at this. Because they had four practices that they identified themselves as Jews with. They worshipped according to temple rules. They circumcised on the eighth day. They lived kosher law. And they kept the Sabbath. You had to do all four of these. And you had to do them well in order to be considered a Jew in good standing. And these upstart Nazarites were taking over and they were demolishing all four of these traditions and they were still claiming to be Abraham's children. Justin Martyr, who was a second century Christian apologist, wrote a fictional dialogue with a Jewish man. And in this dialogue, he wanted to explain the Christian position. And so he put these words in his debate partner's mouth. He said, but this is what we are at most at loss about you. That you, professing to be pious, professing to be godly, observe no festivals or Sabbaths, you do not have the right of circumcision, and further, resting your hopes on a man that was crucified, 
you yet expect to obtain some good thing from God while you do not obey His commandments. Now let's just be honest here for a moment. It doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to believe that many Jews commented to their Christian friends and neighbors something very similar to this. Wait, wait, wait. You don't keep the Sabbath, you don't circumcise in the eighth day, you don't live kosher, and you don't offer sacrifices at the temple? And you think God's going to do something for you? You're out of your mind. Now, looking backwards, after the gospel, you and I, we must concur with our Jewish brothers and friends and neighbors. We don't keep the Sabbath. We celebrate the Lord's Day. We celebrate the Lord's Day. That's going to be the big idea today. Now, I have a question. Why would such a radical change occur? I mean, changing the day you worship when for thousands of years people had done it this way? Well, it's because the Lord rose from the grave on the first day. And the fact that a tradition much firmer, much more solid than when the NFL plays, that entire tradition was changed overnight among believers, those who said they still believe in those ancient traditions. That's hard evidence that Jesus, in fact, rose from the grave. You see, Jesus was murdered the day before the Sabbath. And then he rose on the Sunday. He rose on the first day of the week. Not the seventh. Not the Sabbath. That is why the early church and we have continued worshiping on the first day. Now there's a reason why we call it the Lord's Day. Other than the fact that that's the day he rose on. The day itself is all about Jesus. It's the day itself is all about Jesus. Now, the Sabbath, according to Moses, points backwards at two events. We remember the Sabbath because we remember what God has done. In Exodus 20, the Sabbath points back to creation. And we rejoice. We, as God's people, rejoice in the recurring pattern of six days of work and one day of worshipful rest. And this pattern, Moses tells us, is rooted in who God created us to be in His image. God rested on the seventh day. Those who He made are His representatives, and we too must rest on the seventh day. Then, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses also ties the Sabbath directly to redemption, to salvation from slavery. Namely, in this case, the exodus from Israel. Moses ties the Sabbath to the, the exodus of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And the reason is because the exodus is the central act of redemption, of buying people into becoming God's people in the Old Testament. But it's the cross. It's the cross. The cross is what the exodus points at. The cross, not anything else, is central. The cross is the act of redemption. The act of buying God a people from their slavery to sin that the Lord's Day is all about. 
Now, my friends, we cannot overemphasize this. The Sabbath, all of the Christian's life, as a matter of fact, is about the cross. Everything in the Bible either points to the cross or it points to why we need the cross. Every day in your life, not just once a week, every day in your life must point you and me in our minds and our hearts back to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We celebrate the Lord's day so that our hearts will not neglect so great a salvation. So my friends, do not fail to celebrate the Lord's day because you and I, we need to remember. Now that's two reasons why we celebrate the Sabbath. When we get to the New Testament, we find that the Lord's day points not only backwards to creation and redemption, but it also causes us to remember what lies ahead. The Lord's Day calls us to remember what will assuredly happen for us in the future. Hebrews 4 adds one crucial element to this remembering. Creation, redemption, and restoration. Hebrews 4, 9-11, the preacher writes, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Celebrating the Sabbath or the Lord's Day for those who are in Christ, in doing this, we are to remember that Jesus is coming again. And at that time, the time yet future, but we are actively remembering. At that time and not before, God's people will finally be at rest. We are not yet the church at rest. Today we are the church militant. In other words, we are to fight against our own sin and against the kingdom of Satan. And one of the primary weapons, one of the most important weapons you, Christian, can wield in this battle is celebrating the Lord's day well. The rest that we take on the Lord's day, we rest as we remember not to toil at trying to make ourselves in the world. Or we remember to rest from our toil to try to get on God's good side based upon our own efforts. And instead, we put our hope, we put our trust that we need in grace grace of God. We celebrate the Lord's day because that's what gives us hope and trust that we need in the undeserved power that God himself pours out upon us to equip us and strengthen us to do what he calls us to do. That is why we celebrate the Lord's day. Now today we're going to finish our discussion of celebrating the Lord's Day. We're finishing the Sabbath and we're moving on. So we need to ask ourselves why we call it the Lord's Day. Why not just keep the word Sabbath? Well, as I said already, we changed the day and we gave the reason for that. But at the end of Mark chapter 2, in the beginning of Mark chapter 3, we see that Jesus completely bucks the system of regulations that the Pharisees held on to regarding the Sabbath. 
He called himself the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus declared his preferred way to be celebrated was mercy. Jesus wants you and I to celebrate him by undeservedly blessing our near ones. Every time we see a Sabbath controversy in the Gospels, we must remember that we are to celebrate the Lord of the Sabbath by spreading His mercy far and wide to our near ones. So we ask the question, when did the Sabbath become the Lord's Day? Well, we see it right here in our passage that we were in a few weeks ago. And we see the two most important verses on the Sabbath in the New Testament, and they're right next to each other. Mark 2, 27 and 28. Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then in 28, he said, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now let's take a moment to understand what's going on here. We just talked about what the Sabbath represents. It's the creation, redemption, and restoration. And we see that Jesus is the creator. He is the redeemer. He is the restorer. You know, one outline we can make of Scripture can be stated as creation. God is the creator of everything, and therefore He is the king of everything. And then we must name the fall, the fact that man has fallen. We chose to sin, and you and I sin because we are sinners. But then the biblical story continues, and the third stop is redemption. Jesus is come. Jesus lived, died, and rose from the grave. And therefore, God's people are safe. We are loved. You, Christian, are safe. You, Christian, are loved. And finally, the fourth step is restoration. Jesus is coming again. And the Lord's Day is a weekly reminder of these central truths in the Bible. And this is one of the reasons why Jesus can say, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You and I need to remember creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. We need to rehearse to ourselves this outline of the good news. You and I are forgetful people once a week is not too often. Now, of course, Donna said to me recently, you don't know how to sit well. Some of you can probably identify with that. I think that's another reason the Sabbath was made for us and not us for the Sabbath, so we could rest. But Mark says something else. He says Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Well, what does that mean? If Jesus is the Lord... If he is the Lord of the Sabbath, then the Sabbath must be something for him to be Lord over. Now I say this because there is a large group of Christians who think that the Sabbath is done away with. That Christians, for lack of a better term, are excused from keeping the Sabbath. Well, if that's true, what is Jesus the Lord of? It doesn't make sense to say Jesus is the Lord of nothing. What we're going to see today is that Christians are not excused, but something has changed. And we're going to get to that.
But secondly, we see if Jesus is the Lord of, our, of the Sabbath, Jesus is our priority on the Lord's Day, not keeping any number of regulations. If Christ is Lord, He is the one we should focus on every Lord's Day. He is the Creator. He is the Redeemer. He is the Restorer. And the Sabbath is the Lord's Day because all our focus should be on Him and what He has done, not on ourselves and what we can or cannot do. But lastly, Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath means that Jesus has the authority to outline our priorities on His day. If Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, then He has authority to tell us what we should do and remember on the Lord's day. Everything that would distract us from the rest in Him is something we should ruthlessly abandon. But then why do the New Testament authors keep talking about the Sabbath? Jesus and Paul and others continue to use the word Sabbath because that's what the Old Testament required. And that's what their audience understood. And as I noted at the beginning, the actual day changed. It was moved from Friday evening to Sunday. Now, because Jesus is risen, The first day of the week has become the quote-unquote Sabbath for the church. We do this in honor of Jesus because the Sabbath was always about Him anyways. And so we call it the Lord's Day. But some of you are asking, wait, 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 Pastor Greg. Something else has changed, right? Yes and amen. We celebrate the Lord's Day. But it's more than just a change of what day of the week it falls on. Praise Jesus. One of the most important changes is that all the penalties for not obeying the specific requirements in the Old Testament on the Sabbath have been removed. We see in Exodus 31.15 where Moses says, Six days shall work be done, but the seventh is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Wow. Don't mess with that. Now, praise Jesus, there is no more death penalty. Instead, there's freedom. We see that, if nowhere else, in Romans 14.5. One person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. In the New Covenant, how you honor the Lord on one day a week has, for lack of a better term, been deregulated. In large measure, because God's people are no longer a national entity. Because there is no national people of God, there are many Old Covenant regulations that simply no longer apply. They were fulfilled by Christ and we are free. There are no more ceremonial laws in the temple. They were all fulfilled in Christ and are no longer binding on us today. There's no civil legislation, regulations. We don't live in Israel as a nation. The nation of Israel was destroyed and now God's people will be from every nation. But why? Why Are all the regulations of the Sabbath simply done away with? To answer that, let's turn to Romans 15. And I need to unpack these so-called deregulations. 
And what we'll find in Romans 14 is that Paul taught in Romans 14 the principle that one's conscience, one's conscience judges on matters that are not clearly spelled out in Scripture. Now, I'm not referring to someone asking the question, hey, am I allowed to cheat on my spouse? No, the seventh commandment forbids adultery. That is not changed. That is not debatable. Evidently, though, Paul believed that something had changed with regards to the Sabbath. We read verses 4 through 6. Paul says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. In other words, they're both godly options. We must not judge those who differ from us on matters the Bible identifies as debatable. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? And, and, these positions, our own position on these matters, must be founded in faith. They must be founded trusting what we learn from God's Word. In other words, it's not enough to say, oh, well, so-and-so taught this, therefore I'm going to do that. No. Paul's saying, go to God's Word yourself. Figure it out yourself. Humble yourselves before God the Spirit, and He will show you. Each one, he says, should be fully convinced in his own mind. You cannot be fully convinced in your own mind unless you're going back to God's Word yourself and learning there. So, in Romans 14, we see that God's people are freed to follow their spirit-directed conscience on these matters. Now, I believe Paul intends to free Rome, the Romans, and you and me, not from the privilege of remembering, not from the privilege of celebrating the Lord's Day, but from the multitude of regulations placed on the right observation of the Sabbath, according to the Old Testament. Paul's principle, note, Paul's key principle in verse 6 is that we do all that we do to the honor of the Lord. So whether one is keeping a special day or whether one is eating or not eating particular kinds of food, we must recognize we belong to the Lord and not to ourselves, verse 8. We recognize that we have been purchased by God through His death and resurrection, verse 9. And whatever we do, we do it to the honor of the Lord here in verse 6. So the Sabbath principle to be gained from this passage is that we must live to honor the Lord. We must live to give thanks to Him in all things. And so Jesus, in our passage in Mark 2 and 3, indicated that mercy was far more important than keeping any strict ceremonial laws. Paul, here in Romans 14, puts feet on this truth. And he declares that we are to love each other no matter what our specific practices are in debatable questions. 
But let me throw another curveball. In light of Romans 14, you and I need to recognize one more reality. We must recognize, we must remember that if all days can be treated alike, then perhaps, perhaps, perhaps we should begin thinking that all days are alike holy as opposed to all days are alike secular. Maybe seven days a week ought to be your Sabbath as you thoughtfully delight in the Lord, as you remember that Jesus gets to pick how we celebrate Him, as you remember to celebrate the Lord's Day, or as you remember my first big idea to rest, repent, and rejoice frequently in Jesus. We've said at this pulpit before, there's an idea that the tithe, the Old Testament tithe has been done away with. Yes, but 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 tell us that it's been replaced by cheerful, sacrificial, and regular giving. Okay, maybe Sabbath has been replaced, but the Lord's Day has caused us to want to be cheerful, sacrificial, and regular as well. Now, that's not all Paul wrote. Actually, Paul makes his position on the Sabbath one step more specific. His passage in Colossians is actually even more important. He says, Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. Jesus is coming back. And these are a shadow of those things that are coming. But the substance, he says, belongs to Christ. How you celebrate the Lord's Day or what you eat and drink are not matters that ought to separate Christians, Paul says. Why? Because Christ is the substance. Christ is our Sabbath, according to Hebrews chapter 4. And your near ones need to see with their own eyes that you rest in the shadow of Jesus. You rest on the Lord's day out of the glaring sun of the oppressive heat of the world. In other words, we rest in the shade of Jesus from our toiling to make a place in this world, or from our toiling of trying to get on God's good side by doing this or not doing that. The Sabbath is a rest in the shade of Jesus from this oppressive heat. Again, in both Romans 14 and Colossians 2, at issue in these verses is not that we must or must not keep the Sabbath, or we must or must not celebrate the Lord's Day, that we must what we do, what we rest from, is the regulations, is, is the law that binds us to these specific things that we can do or not do. At issue is that we trust in the finished work of Jesus and that we take time and we make the effort to celebrate what He did because the substance belongs to Christ. To put it in a word, the key difference between the Testaments concerning the Sabbath rests right here. 
The penalty for failing to keep the Sabbath, which is namely death, is abolished. Therefore, the passing judgment means that no one can boss you around and tell you how to do this or how to do that. But human need, remember, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Human need and the mercy that is involved there remains. Which is why we must take time and decide how you and I can best celebrate the Lord's Day. Celebrate the Lord's Day. No longer is it keep the Sabbath or observe the Sabbath depending on which version of the Ten Commandments. Now it is celebrate the Lord's Day. Allow me to give you an analogy. If you said to your wife, must I tell you I love you? The right answer to that question would be yes, but not that kind of must. Let me clarify. If you make a law out of how many times a week you must tell your wife, I love you, you have completely missed the point of telling your wife, I love you. If, on the other hand, you don't tell your, your wife, I love you, every week or even every day, then you've completely missed the point of loving your wife. You must tell your wife, I love you. Do we put a law on that? No. Because the law misses the point. You must celebrate the Lord's day. But not that kind of must. Allow me another analogy. This time paraphrasing John Piper's comments on the Colossians 2 passage. He says, the world still needs the shadow of Christ. What does that mean? The Sabbath is a shadow of Christ. It, it's a picture. Jesus is the creator, he's the redeemer, and he's the restorer. It's a picture. And so we look at the Sabbath, we look at the Lord's Day, and we see that picture. Yes, and amen, praise Jesus. But Christ has come. He has already come. But he is also not quite here yet. The Sabbath is a shadow of Christ, but we don't have Christ bodily yet. He has already come, yes and amen. But the rest, the true Sabbath rest is not yet. It is not fully yet here. So the world around us and our own hearts needs to see the shadow of Christ in full living color as it were. Which is exactly what the preacher to the Hebrews was trying to communicate. Allow me to read again Hebrews 4, 9-11. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It is coming. For whoever has entered into God's rest, whoever has trusted the promises of God for them in Christ, has also rested from his works as God did from his. In other words, we don't have to try to impress God. It's done. We can rest from that. That's the rest that is already. That is the Sabbath rest. That is the Lord's Day rest that we as Christians, we who trust the promises of God, already have. Amen. Then verse 11. Let us therefore strive. 
Let us agonize on how to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. He's talking about the people who weren't keeping the Sabbath. They weren't obeying the laws. And we need to strive. We need to plan. We need to think about how we can celebrate the Lord's Day so that those who are around us can see that and celebrate as well. The, the preacher to the Hebrews says, let us strive to enter that rest. We must fight our tendency to make our place in the world. Or we must fight our tendency to think that we must earn God's gracious favor, but we can never do that, so stop it. Rest in the finished work of Christ on the cross. You and I are still the church militant. We must fight. And the weapon that the Spirit has given us in this warfare is the celebrating of the Lord's Day. Remember every single Lord's Day. Jesus is Creator. Jesus is Redeemer. Jesus is Restorer until He returns. Remember as you celebrate the Lord's Day that Jesus is the Creator. He is our Redeemer. And He is our Restorer. So what's different? What's, what's ultimately different? What do we hang our hat on? Romans 14 and Colossians 2 tell us that the regulations are passed. No longer are there strict laws governing our behavior. Why? Because Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is our rest. The cross changes everything. The cross purchased for us all the righteousness, all the righteousness we will ever need. And therefore... We can take a day off each week and rest. Rest from being afraid. The cross is now passed and He has risen on the Lord's Day so we celebrate the Lord's Day. Now what you do, how you specifically celebrate that day is up to you. In these sermons I've given you Four directions you can pursue. Four ideas. Way back in January, I said the big idea was rest, repent, and rejoice frequently in Jesus. Rest, repent, and rejoice frequently in Jesus. And then we said a couple weeks ago, we said celebrate Him. Jesus gets to pick how we celebrate Him. And He asks us to celebrate Him with mercy. So celebrate Jesus by showing mercy to others. Then last week, the big idea was thoughtfully delight in the Lord. Thoughtfully think about how it is you can arrange your heart and your life in such a way that you delight in the Lord and not in the things that are going to burn up anyway. And today is just a reminder. Celebrate the Lord. Celebrate the Lord. Start thinking along these lines. Start thinking along the lines of how you can start putting these into practice and you will not go far wrong. I challenge you though, thoughtfully delight. Go to God's Word yourself and consider yourself what the Spirit says to you. Don't obey someone's law because they tell you. Do your own work in God's Word and pray and ask the Spirit to lead you. And above all, just start doing it. Just start celebrating the Lord's Day. 
Lord Jesus, we want to celebrate you every day of the week. And we know that our hearts forget. Cause us, Lord, to remember to celebrate you, to worship you, to rest and to repent and to rejoice frequently in you. Cause us, Lord Jesus, to know you better and therefore serve you, love you, and trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen.